This morning we read from the book of Esther, beginning in chapter 3, 1 through 6. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. 4, 1 to 3. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out to the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. 13 to 17. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish... I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Thank you, David. Well, good morning. I'm thankful for all the Sunday school teachers that uh, minister to children. When I was a little guy, uh, five years old, I had a great uh, Sunday school teacher, and she would always uh, share these wonderful Bible stories, and even though I was a pastor's kid, uh, I learned a lot of the Bible stories uh, through our Sunday school teachers. And as I would listen and hear about Jesus and hear about how he healed people and, and how he loved people, uh, as a little guy, um, who was told that we just needed to ask him into our hearts, I kept wondering what that was all about. And then so one uh, Monday, 
uh, after school, came home, and my mom was there. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mom who left her IBM job to, to be a mom who would stay home. And uh, came in, and, and she was at the kitchen uh, table. And I said, hey, mom, uh, Sunday school teacher yesterday was telling me that I need to ask Jesus into my heart. Um, and I want to do that. How do I do that? And so we uh, sat at that kitchen table, Sunnyvale, California, five-year-old little guy, and, uh, and she prayed with me to receive Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful for my mom, and I'm thankful for God's good word, and I'm thankful that she was a mom who didn't have to go out and get a career, uh, but chose to, to be with me. So that for such a time as that, when little, they call me Roddy when I was five, <laughs> when little Roddy came home, for such a time as that, she was ready to walk through uh, who Jesus was and, and pray with me to receive the kingdom. So happy Mother's Day to you all. And uh, to my mom who's listening to this, Mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Shatem. For such a time as this, God has placed you where he has. He has placed you in his sovereignty for a position of purpose. And he has an incredible desire for you exactly right where you are right now in your life for a time such as this. And it's all God's good hand upon you. And that's my prayer this morning for all of us, that we would recognize where God has placed us for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that for this dear body. I, I uh, thank you for each and every one in this room. And I thank you for where they're at in life, at their workplace or at home, in a certain family that you've placed them, in different relationships, in the hard stuff that you've placed them in. But each and every one of us has been placed there for such a time as this to be used of you to reflect your love and your light to share the story of of you to glorify you and so I pray that for us this morning I pray that we would recognize who you are and the place that you have us and that we'd be thankful and that we'd live out your life in us be kingdom workers with you and so this morning, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, do your work in our midst. And may we open our eyes to see the place that we are in for such a time as this. Amen. Well, what was the time like for Esther, Mordecai? Chapters uh, 3 and 4 we're looking at this morning, and it's really interesting, between chapters 2 and 3 you see the, the rising, really, of the Jewish people. They're in a pretty good place at the end of chapter 2. Uh, Mordecai has foiled a plot to kill the king, right? And he knew that these bodyguards were going to try to kill the king, and so he got word out to the king, listen, these guys are going to take your life. And it came to be true, and so Mordecai gained favor in the eyes of the king. 
Now, as far as a, a people group who are in exile, they're living uh, in Persia, but they're exiled people, they're actually, as Jewish people, in a pretty okay place. They're making a living. Things are not excellent and wonderful, but it's okay. You know, I think of, I think of all the many uh, wonderful refugees we have in our community. Uh, you see them everywhere. And they've come here, and they're not in their homeland, but they're, they're comfortable here. They're learning to live. They're, they're in an okay place for the most part. And, and they're building relationships, and, and they're, they're learning to get work and transportation, and it's, it's kind of okay. That's kind of where the Jews were at in Persia. And again, they were gaining favor as a people, and you go, hey, this is, this is not so bad. Where they were at with the Lord at the time, we're, we're not totally certain. I think they were somewhat distant from God. I don't think they were totally drawn into God. A lot of what we see in Ezra, we, we see a people uh, with Ezra, the Jewish people, who really weren't, weren't fellowshipping with the Lord. And there's a call back. Hey, draw back near to the Lord. Draw back near to the Lord. I would assume that there was some of that going on with the Jewish people uh, in Persia. It wasn't this really sold out for serving God. Uh, they didn't abandon God, but I just don't think they were in close fellowship. And so there are people in the time of this, and again we see in chapter 2 kind of this favor, and then all of a sudden chapter 3, it's, it's this incredible fall. Their stock had gone way down by the time we get to chapter 3. It's about five years later, by the way, and all of a sudden we see this guy, Haman. And every time we think of Haman, we should have a little bit of a, maybe there should be a little hiss or a little boo. Or he's just, he's evil. And we see chapter 3 starting with Haman. And here Mordecai had, had risen in favor. And now we see chapter 3, now Haman had risen in favor. It, it literally is his chair had been higher than everybody else's. His throne. He'd been raised up above the seven princes of Persia. And he does, I believe, represent pure evil. For such a time as this, there is Esther and Mordecai in the middle of a community where evil is at full rage. The Jewish people are going to become fearful very quickly. They're going to become confused. It's a time that all of a sudden is going to be turned upside down for such a time as this. And it's going to get worse because Mordecai, as, as Haman is being raised up, Mordecai is, is called, along with everybody else, to bow down. And Mordecai is not going to do it. And so that's just going to make it worse for him and for the Jews. And so the times are going to get more evil and more pressure for Haman and the Jewish people. Haman, again, is, is an Amalekite. We learned about this, and Jackson brought this up a couple weeks ago. The Amalekites were the enemy of God's people all throughout the history of Scripture. King Saul was supposed to wipe out all the Amalekites, and he, and he kept the king alive. And now there comes the consequence of that disobedience. Now is going to come the anger 
and the enemy back in a full swing. And I think as we think about here from hundreds of years before where Saul disobeyed and sinned against the Lord, hundreds of years later we're going to see the consequence of that play out. Sin, sin always takes us further than we ever want to go. Always. We think we can get away with stuff. We think we can disobey God and that there's no consequence for it. And there's always consequence. Sin, sin breaks things. It doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive our sin. He's quick to forgive, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be consequence. Because that's what sin does. It breaks stuff. It breaks relationship with God. It breaks relationship with each other. And so this enemy is going to come back because of disobedience. Haman's in a high position. Mordecai will not bow down to him, verse 2 it says. And, and one of the questions we have to think about is, why, why is it that Mordecai won't bow down? What's going on there? Was there an exception for the Jewish people? It, it doesn't seem to be the case, necessarily. Was it some form of idol worship, like we saw in Daniel, and Daniel would not bow down? Uh, I don't think that's so much the case with Haman. He's not really lifted up as a, as a, as a god in this format. A lot of times... We see in, in biblical history and just in culture that there would be a bowing down just because of a hierarchy, because of a powerful position. Sometimes you could almost relate it to a, a salute in the army. You're above me, you're a general, uh, I always salute you. And so there's a bow down to those in high position. But Haman won't uh, be bowed down to by Mordecai. Mordecai will not submit unto him, will not bow down. And as you study the passage, I was thinking, you know, it seems to me that as you look at the history of the Amalekites, I think Mordecai won't bow down because Haman is pure evil. Haman is and represents the enemy of God. And he will not bow down to that. He will not bow down to one who is out to destroy God's people and has always been opposite of who God is. I will not bow down. Mordecai knows the consequence, knows the consequence of disobeying the king's edict, which was you need to bow down to Haman. He saw what happened to Vashti, right? You wouldn't show up at the party, you're out. You're done, banished. He knows there's going to be consequence. And so it shows an incredible conviction in his heart. I will not bow down to this guy. I'll take whatever comes. But he is the enemy of God. Here's what Exodus uh, 17 says. Good passage to look at later uh, in your scriptures. Then the Lord said to Moses... Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation 
to generation. Exodus 17. Always an enemy of God. Opposite of everything who God is. Evil. And because Haman is pure evil, Mordecai will not bow down. Like the spirit of Hitler, Mordecai is going to wipe out the Jews. An incredible rage occurs when Mordecai doesn't bow down. That phrase that that speaks of Haman, it says he was filled with rage. That occurs only four times in the scriptures. We see it in in Luke uh, chapter 4. It says this in Luke 4, and this is about Jesus. Jesus is teaching and he has compassion on a Gentile. And all in the synagogue, in the synagogue, the Jewish people were filled with rage. Just like we see with Haman. Their hearts were evil and wicked. When they heard Jesus speaking compassion on this Gentile, and they turned quickly upon him, they rose up and they cast Jesus out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. An incredible rage had filled. It's been said what fills a person, what fills a person controls a person. Are we filled with the Spirit of God? Or are we filled with the flesh? Are we being led by the Spirit or led by the flesh? I know some of you think, boy, you know, I couldn't be filled with rage like that. Oh, boy. It can come upon us so quickly when we're giving in to the flesh, when we bow down to the flesh. It's a good reminder for all of us to always be controlled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let His life live out for you. Gentleness, peace, peace, patience, kindness. Let it pour out upon you. And so Haman, you would think, it's just one Jewish guy, Mordecai, who's not bowing down. Oh, but Haman, enemy of God, Amalekite, he's going to use that to wipe out the Jews. Take them all out. And he's just like Satan, the great liar. He goes in before Xerxes, and he says to Xerxes, Hey, Xerxes, there's a certain people. I'm not going to really name them here. But there's a certain people. Let me whisper my lies into your ear. Haman had incredible presence in front of the king. You picture like the movies, you know, where you've got... You've got the guy on the right side of the king and he leans over and he's whispering into his ear about people in the court. That's, that's who Haman is. Hey, king, you know there's a certain people. They're kind of a pain. And we really shouldn't have them in the presence and in the courts and really in the land. They're a burden. You shouldn't let them rest here in this land. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 10,000 talents of silver for the king's purse, for the king's money, and I'll go out and we'll uh, take care of this problem for you. I want you to understand something. This is no little chunk of change. 
In modern day culture, 10,000 talents of, of silver would be somewhere right around $350 billion. It was about two-thirds of the, of the kingdom empire, their money of Persia, which was massive. And you can sort of understand why so quickly Xerxes is like, hey, that sounds okay. We're actually kind of short on money, and we need money because we're going to go to, go to war with Greece. So that sounds like a pretty good deal. Where's Haman going to get all this money? Well, from the plunder of all the Jews, all their stuff. And so he presents this and he whispers into the ear of the king, listen, I got a deal for you. Let's take out these Jews. And you'll get money, Satan in the flesh. Verse 13 says, and they were going to go and kill and destroy and annihilate all of the Jews. And then what does the scripture say? This just shows the evil of Xerxes and Haman. We're going to go and kill and annihilate and destroy all of these people. Let's have a toast. And they drank together on their plot, on their plan. For such a time as this. Do we live in a time for such a time as this where there are enemies of God wanting to wipe out people? And is there the enemy himself who is constantly wanting to destroy and kill and annihilate? For such a time as this, that God has placed you where he has. Jesus came to seek and save the lost for such a time as this. Well, what was the response of Mordecai? What was the response of the people? Oh, well, that's a bummer. I was hoping I had a few more days on, on the earth. No. It's radical response. You know, I'm always amazed when they're suffering, especially in the church, when they're suffering in community, when there's brokenness, when there's attack by the enemy. Aren't you always amazed what it does? It, it draws people together, doesn't it? The church flourishes, does it not, under persecution? Because the people of God are drawn together and they need each other. And we're going to see this in chapters 3 and 4. The people of God are under attack and they are going to draw together under the power of God. Maybe they were distant from God at the beginning of the story, but they will not be by the end of the story. They will be a people drawn back to him. And so right in the middle of the enemy attack, there is Mordecai and there is Esther. Where has God placed you right now, right today, for such a time as this? I think for all of us, we have to open our eyes and ask that question of the Lord and say, Lord, speak to me. Why do you have me here at this desk job? What do you got for me here? But you've, you've allowed me, you've put me in this place, and sometimes I just don't get it. What do you have for my life for such a time as this? Mordecai realizes his place. He realizes he must act. He realizes 
that he must respond to injustice and evil. He realizes that he must be a voice to speak truth, to make people aware of ultimate impending death. We need a Savior. We need someone to step in and deliver us from death. And as he shows up into the, into the courtyards, he's crying out. And, and Esther hears about it. And at first, Esther, Esther is just, uh, she's just self-focused. And she's more concerned about the way Mordecai looks and is acting. Wait, he's wearing what? He's got sackcloth and ashes and he's crying out. For goodness sake, get him some appropriate clothes. And that's really what she's saying. It's not appropriate. Get him some clothes so he can dress it up a little bit. And so he comes in, crying out, saying, this is what's going on. Harry Ironside, great preacher, said the deal is the people believe, the Jewish people believe Xerxes, what he said, the edict that was laid out by Haman. The proclamation was sealed with the royal signet ring. Boom! It's for real. They knew they were under the sentence of death and their hearts were filled with grief and anguish. And he says, in this situation, how like the condition of awakened sinners, of awakened sinners, all unsaved men are under a far worse condemnation than that which darkened the sky of every Jew in the Persian dominions. Outward clothing isn't going to cover a devastated soul in need of a Savior. We can't just dress it up. And the people in the courts and the Jewish people in the land of Persia were like awakened sinners who realized, without a Savior, my ultimate end is death. And it's a draw to the people for life. And it's a draw to Esther to be the one who will save them. Esther initially responds in fear. She's saying, I realize all my people are going to be killed, but listen, if I enter into the court without being invited, I'm going to die. Again, she's living in fear. The king has to hold out the golden scepter. And, and he hasn't invited me in in quite some time. I'm not, I'm not this, uh, all of a sudden, the, the pearl in his eye. I haven't gone into court in quite a while. And so for me to show up, Esther's saying, I will die. And her initial response is fear. She doesn't know what to do. You know what, though? God always works in our fear. Always. Remember Joshua? If you just start to read the book of Joshua, what happens in Joshua? Hey, Joshua, I want you to go take the land of Jericho. Like, they will typically destroy you, but listen, I'm going to have you be delivering the people into the promised land, and I'm going to give you strength. I know everybody else is scared to death. I know you're scared to death. Therefore, and he says this over and over, kind of ad nauseum, be strong and courageous. 
Be strong and courageous. Why does he keep saying that? Because Joshua is scared to death. And so are we when we step into situations where we're like, how is this going to work? God, you're calling me to do something. I don't get it. And I'm scared to death. Into this broken relationship, into this hard situation at work, you're calling me to step in and I don't have the strength. And God will give you the strength. And he will help you overcome your fear. Mordecai comes in like the Holy Spirit and and reminds Esther of all that God's going to do and all that's going to take place. He has a deep sense of God's hand upon the Jewish people, a faith that God will raise up a deliverer to his people. And that he's putting Esther in this place. He says to Esther, listen, you're not going to escape this. God has put you in this place for such a time as this. To be used of God to to bring truth, to step in, to bring life. It's you, Esther, for such a time as this. There will be death otherwise. And right where you are at, God has placed you. Not an accident. So that you might step up and save your people and bring life into darkness. Will you respond to such a time as this? I wanted to ask my dear sister Melody Mullen to come up and to share a story where God had placed her in a spot for such a time as this. So Mel, where are you at? Is she here somewhere? Isn't she here? Oh, there she is. Hey, you, I thought you usually were over here. Switching sides. Oh, here, let me get you the microphone. Thank you. All right, so I'm a teacher at Coal Valley, and first of all, I get to get up every morning and go to work and do kingdom-building stuff, and then they send me a paycheck at the end of the month. It's a great deal. So here's a story. We were driving home from work one day, my husband and I, and he's the vice principal, so we have this deal that we only talk about school on the way home, and then when we get home, we're done. So I asked, how was your day, like I usually do, and he said, well, it's got a weird situation today. We have this Chinese student that came into our school, He's from an international school. He actually got kicked out of an international school. And he wants to come to Coal Valley. And I'm thinking, I don't know how we do that. There's a month left of school. And generally, we don't take kids who get kicked out of other schools. So I called their administrator. And the administrator from the other school said, well, it doesn't seem like he's a risk. It just didn't work out here for him. So maybe in the right environment, it would. And so I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, well... I don't know. God's going to in charge because we have to find a host family first, and then I've got to figure out what classes to put him in because he's not going to get credit. So basically, a teacher's going to have him for a month. He's going to have to work really hard and act like he's getting an A, even though he's not going to get a grade. So I'm like, wow, that's a lot of obstacles to overcome. But sure enough, we had a family, Lisa Schertz, who's a preschool teacher at Coal Valley, has tons of teenagers at her house. She's like, what's one more? I'll take them. So for one month, she, so he moved in. And I said, Brett, put him in my Bible class. Put him in my Bible class. We only have 10 students in there. It would be perfect. So he comes into my my Bible class, and obviously he's never opened up a Bible ever before in his life, so I was trying to share with him 
what the Bible is, and he's going to need one. And we have Jesus time at the beginning of class. And, but you don't have to worry about this week. It's pretty chill. We're going to do gospel presentations. So I had students. We talked about the five colors, and if you've ever been in vacation Bible school, it's black is the sin in your life, and red is the blood of Christ, and white is God washing us clean, white as snow, and then the green is growing in the Lord and in the, having the fruits of the Spirit when you have the Holy Spirit in you, and then you get heaven, which is yellow. So the kids, every student had to come up and do a presentation using personal examples from their own life about the sin they dealt with and what was it like when Jesus actually came and cleansed them and made them white as snow and how are they growing in the Lord. So he is listening. Here's, his name's Jack. He's listening every day to these gospel presentations. And I'm thinking, I wonder what's going through his head, because there's nothing there. I mean, there's no expression <laughs> at all. So it's Thursday, and the last one just presented. And so I go over to Jack, and I said, hey, Jack, you know, you don't have to do this since you came right in the middle of gospel presentations, but would you like to do a gospel presentation? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I really would. Well, then the student next to him's like, dude, you don't have to. I'm like, Stop. <laughs> And so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, when would you like to do it? Tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. All right. So he comes in class the next day with this huge duffel bag. And I'm thinking, holy cow, what is in there? (laughs) Dead body or something? I don't know. (laughs) So he unzips it, and he takes out this big black fleece blanket, and he wraps himself like head to toe in it. And he said, my life was full of hatred. My thoughts were full of hatred. Everything I did, I did out of hate. My whole body is evil. I mean, he doesn't even know us. I'm like, wow, he's being really transparent here. (laughs) And then he started to share with us that his host brothers, which were also international students, they didn't get along. He hated them. And one day, they locked him out of his house in the snow for two hours. He goes, I was in the snow for two hours, and all I could think of, all the things I was going to do with them when I got in the house... He goes, and then my host parents came home, and they did nothing. So now I hated them, too. And now I was thinking evil thoughts about what I was going to do to them. And when I went to school the next day, I decided I did not like my teachers either. So I stopped doing my work. I stopped working for them. And I was disrespectful to them. And then they kicked me out of school. I had nowhere to go. And my host mom that was with me said, maybe you need to be saved. (laughs) So she brought me to Coal Valley and dropped me off. <laughs> she said, he said, so then he took off the black, and then he put on this red shirt. And he goes, and that is why Jesus came to die for my sin, because he loves me, and he wants to have a relationship with me, and there's nothing I could do to get rid of the hate in my life. And then he's, he makes me white and cleans me up. But I'm not all the way cleaned up yet. I'm still working on the black. There's still a lot of evil in my heart that I have to get out before I can ask him to come in and, and change my life. Because I want to be green. I want to have joy. And I've never experienced peace in my life, and I really want to have that. And heaven sounds really good, too. I'd like to spend my whole life with Jesus. And then he says... Would you guys like to pray with me? And so we bow our heads, and he actually prays the gospel message. Perfect. Like accepting the Lord. And I'm like, wow, he was listening ten times. (laughs) And so then he gets done praying, and I said, wow, Jack. Jack, did you know that God loves you right now more than he ever is going to love you in the rest of your life? Like he loves you right now, even in the midst of that darkness. 
And I looked over at TJ. I said, so TJ, he's the kid that's like, you don't have to give it. (laughs) I said, TJ, if you waited your whole life to get rid of all the lies that you told, would you ever ask Jesus to come into your life and, and be your Lord and Savior? Nope. Hannah, I said, if you would have ever got over being mad at God for all the deaths in your family, how long would it be until you asked God to come in your life and save you and rescue you from that? <laughs> Never. And so Jack's just sitting there listening and shaking his head, and, and that was about it. Well, then that, that Saturday we had a thing called the Junior Senior Banquet where the seniors have a video and they talk about their life and thank their parents and have a little special Bible verse. So Lisa Schertz and her family were chaperoning that night. So they're like, Jack, you're coming with us. So we were there till probably 1.30 cleaning up after the whole event. And he watched the videos and all those testimonies of every student, every senior that's graduating. And the next morning they got up and Jack was really excited because he was going to go to church because he knew he had to give a sermon report sometime in my class. So he was going to go that Sunday and give his sermon report. So he gets up, and Lisa and her husband are sitting at the kitchen table having coffee, exhausted. And Lisa said, I can't even put two words together. She goes, I've been teaching preschool all week. I don't even want to talk. And here comes Jack, bounding out of the bedroom. Are we going to church? And Lisa said, oh, Jack, we do go to church, but I'm so sorry we're not going today. All, the, all our kids, they're still in bed. And I'm so sorry. Don't think we're bad people. Really, we do go to church, but just not today. So he gets a chair, and he sits, sits at the table with her and her husband. And she's thinking, oh, Lord, please just let him go back to bed. I just really need some time alone. But then he starts asking her questions about the Lord, about Jesus. And she's like, again, I can't even talk. I can't even formulate a thought. She said, and I look over at my little pad, my tablet, and I notice that I have a video queued up for Easter that I was going to show to my preschoolers. She said, so I said, here, this can be our church. Why don't you just watch this little Easter cartoon? So she pulls it over and and plays it for him. and, And he watches it, and he says, he starts asking her questions about where in the Bible does it say that God loves me even in the midst of my sin. So her and her husband start flipping through the Bible, and he said, I'm ready. She's like, you're ready. I'm ready to ask Jesus into my heart. Okay. And he said, how do I do that? And she goes, well, you can pray. I've never prayed before. Well, all right. When I pray with my preschoolers, I usually hold their hand. Do you want me to hold your hand? Yes, 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 hold my hand. So she held his hand, and her and her husband prayed with him, and he accepted the Lord right then. And then he got out his Bible, and he started writing down all those verses that she had told him about and went into his room. And then on Monday, the story doesn't stop. On Monday, he goes into his international English class at Coal Valley, and he shares his little sermon report from home (laughs) with his classmates about how Jesus changed him. And guess what? He led two other students to the Lord, international students. Okay, so now he's so excited about his life, he doesn't want to go home to China. So you can pray for Jack that he can make a huge difference when he goes back to China this summer. Amen. For such a time as this, Letting God use your life exactly where he's placed you. Because if people do not know of his love and his saving grace, they will, like the Jews in Persia, die. God has purpose for you. The enemy is coming hard. He hates those who are seeking Christ. He hates those 
who are trying to walk in God. And he's placed you right in the middle of the battle for such a time as this. And we see that with our children's ministry as well. For such a time as this, being used in the lives like it was for me as a child, being able to hear and know about Jesus Christ. And so we want to have uh, Ron Hillbrands come up and share uh, just what God's doing with the children's ministry and for you to think about such a time as this. Ron? Yeah. Last week uh, you got to hear Art Ortman speak uh, with the youth and all. I have the privilege of being the elder for the children's ministry, and I get to work with uh, Donna Williams and Valerie Tucker, a great uh, ministry team there. Uh, I hope you understand the value of, of the children's ministry, and I really appreciated Rod leading out with his testimony of, as a five-year-old, coming to know the Lord and the value of what Sunday school teachers do. Now, there's three things I want to I share with you this morning, uh, very briefly. Um, I could share my testimony, but uh, I got saved when I was 21. But it was through the, the training. I was a pastor's kid myself, but uh, I wasn't as smart as Rod. And so it took me a while. But, you know, all the things that I learned in Sunday school made sense the minute I accepted the Lord. And it was through that training. Now, the three things, what's the value of being involved in children's ministry? I looked it up this morning, uh, kind of just wanting to get a kind of a number, and I, I Googled what percentage of Christians were saved as children. I was actually kind of shocked. My wife actually was pretty close. Eighty-five percent of Christians today were saved as children. Now, just think in your own life, maybe your own kids, uh, all of that. That really shocked me. And there's tremendous opportunity to be involved in that, in that process by being involved here at Cole Community Church. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I, I work as an elder with uh, the two uh, ministry pastors, but I also work under them as a teacher. And uh, it's a great place to work. Uh, the need. I want to let you know right now, uh, we have like the school year teachers, and then in the summer, they get a whole new group of teachers that will come and take that three-month period so that it gives the rest of the teachers a break, and so they're looking for teachers for that, uh, as well as all the VBS volunteers, the tremendous amount of volunteers needed for VBS. So if you have any interest in working with kids and helping uh, the 85% uh, come to know the Lord, uh, you have that opportunity right here at Cole. So there's, there's a need uh, for you to go. I know that there's still openings uh, in the back for, uh, for signing up. The last thing I want to let you know, and this is the part that often I struggled with, is, okay, what does that mean when I have to be a teacher or a helper? And uh, one of the things that really convinced me that the, the way Cole does it really works is that they always, you always work within a team. It's not you by yourself doing it. You have to be there every Sunday. 
Myself, I couldn't be at the class every week. I just couldn't because of my job, my responsibilities. We have a team that we work with, maybe two to three teachers for the class, plus a number of helpers, so that if you can't make it a week, another person does it. I've really, and we do that in all the different aspects of COAL, the team concept, so that it's not one person driven. And that really helped me to sign up for uh, being involved in that because I couldn't do it every week. And so I just encourage you, if you have a heart to try this, I really want to encourage you to do it. And to uh, quote Rod Ritchie and uh, the Bible, be strong and courageous. <laughs> Step out and make the effort. Uh, there's kids that are waiting to hear the gospel. And I really appreciate what Melanie said about uh, her stepping out and reaching a young person. So thank you very much for allowing me to share about the ministry and going back there and sign up. <laughs> God's going to accomplish his purposes. And the joy is, is that he wants us to be part of that. And for each and every one of you, as we think about Esther, she could have initially, she could have initially declined, stepped out and, and been fearful and said, there's no way I'm going to do it. God still is going to accomplish his purpose. And I think for all of us, the, the conviction from the word is, Lord, as you're calling me to be part of your kingdom life, to bring light into darkness, to bring life out of death, uh, okay, use me. Use me. You have me in this spot of life. I have no idea why, but you have me here uh, for this purpose. And so I want to be used of you. And so really, as you guys have lunch today and as you have a wonderful Mother's Day time, talk about those things. What do you think God has for you for such a time as this? Let's pray. Father, again, I just thank you. I thank you for how much uh, you love us, that you came uh, to save those who were lost, to give us life. And, uh, Father, you used uh, Esther to go before the king, fearful as she was, but to be the one who would act as the Savior uh, for the people of Israel. And Lord, um, we want to be used of you to, to bring truth and to bring life and light. And help us in our fear. Give us courage and strength. And Father, um, would you just uh, put through the power of your Holy Spirit on the hearts of each and every one here uh, what you have for us in such a time as this. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that it is us who no longer live, but you who lives through us. And so live your life through us, and would you be glorified in all that we do. In your precious name, amen. Love you guys. Happy Mother's Day, dear moms. Enjoy your day in the Lord.